Hey everybody, welcome to Top 5 Movies. I'm John Burke. With me this week is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And Michael Sanchez. Hello! And uh, we, we've had some bad news um, in the movie-loving world. Um, George A. Romero has passed away at, I think, 77, um, which yeah. I am a big fan of his zombie movies, especially his earlier ones. Uh, in fact, I believe it was last week um, that Dawn of the Dead was on Corey's list. Uh, yeah, right, Dawn of the Dead was on Corey's list um, for best sequels, and we all uh, discussed at length how much we love that movie. Um, and it's not the first time um, that we've even discussed it, and uh, it's very sad. I mean, he's seventy-seven, so it's not like Anton Yelchin surprise, you know, death, but it's still sad to hear. Um, I have to say, though, I did uh, one of my friends on Facebook um, posted uh, an article like I did and a few other people have been posting. Um, but his his post was funny. He's like he said, yeah, right. He's just going to rise again, which given he's the father of zombies, that's I couldn't help but think that was a pretty appropriate joke. <laughs> but we wanted to you know, start the episode off and just mention that um, we have talked about his movies uh, before. So we're not gonna, our list is nothing to do with zombie movies or anything like that. And we literally just got this information, what, within an hour um, of recording tonight? Maybe an hour and a half? Mm-hmm. So it's breaking yeah. news, but you won't hear it from us for a few days. So um, not as breaking when you hear it, but for us, it's it, the news just hit us, and it's, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, can't really add more to that it's a little too soon yeah yep agreed i'm i am uh i am recovering from surgery still now when you hear this podcast it'll have been a week um but i you know we just Corey and i recorded our movie club episode yesterday um which is saturday uh did you just get a cat uh yeah this is new i don't know why he's starting to do this when i'm recording um sorry if you can hear my cat he wants to be famous um, you know, um, uh, in mall rats, if you use a gerbil to wait, no, wait, that's not I don't know if works. any of this is happening. Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm actually surprised my mic is even picking that up because he's like in like three rooms away. But um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Thanks a lot. Anyways, um, because I'm, well, yeah, I'm, I think I think you need to go back because if the cat didn't fully get a. Uh, removed that's not good oh jesus um i'm gonna be uh watching uh man some a lot of movies this week because i am uh recovering from surgery so i can't do a whole lot of other stuff um i listed several at the movie club episode and now we're recording this a day later i've only watched uh one new movie uh since then which was a film called the meddler oh either you guys heard of that yes um, I, mm, I don't think so. It's on stars. Um, it is. I, I, I guess you would call it a, a dramedy, but um, it is Susan Sarandon. Uh, she's the oh, lead. Right. Uh, Rose Byrne is in it. Um, J.K. Simmons, who is great in this movie. Uh, oh, I like him. I, I'm a big fan of his. Um, 
Jared Carmichael, who's a stand-up comedian, uh, has a small but important part. And there's a bunch of other like little actors who show up um, and do do some good stuff. But it's it's really Susan Sarandon like a showcase for her. Um, I really enjoyed the movie, and it was exactly the type of film I needed today. Because I told Corey uh, yesterday, I think on the podcast, we I watched um, a movie called No Escape with Owen Wilson and Lake Bell and Pierce Bronson, and it was just way too intense for like the recovery. Like I was, I was, I'm already kind of on on edge because I'm recovering, and so watching like a suspenseful thriller wasn't the right mood uh, for a movie. I, I was more stressed out than I normally would have been watching it. So I wanted something a lot lighter, and that's what I picked this morning, and I really enjoyed it um, a, a lot, actually, and uh, particularly uh, the, the relationships that Susan Sarandon builds throughout the film. Um, it's it's just it's a good movie. I, I'm not saying it's like mind blowing, but it's really it's really really well performed. Uh, it's a fun story. It's endearing, and um, yeah, I, I definitely do recommend it. Though um, I will have a review up sometime this week. Uh, I'm a little slow with writing right now. Um, I'm a little slow with everything right now. So, uh, do you have a bell? Do you have a little bell for requests? No, uh, no. I, I, I mean, I, I have a big bellowing voice. So I just, you know, shout someone's name and they come around. <laughs> but, um, um, I'll be honest. I'm surprised you're recording and recorded the other night. So, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm tougher than I give myself credit. To be honest, like I, I, I honestly thought I would be like laid out, but no, I'm. I'm even, um, I'm down to, I've only taken one pain pill today, and I don't think I'm going to take another one. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I am tougher than Whoa. I give myself. Did you hear that? I don't know what just felt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, um, look, uh, look, look here, drunkie. Yeah. <laughs> and something behind me just like fell. Like, I don't know what it was. Well, um, how many no, no, pills no, 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 have you no. taken today? Actually, I have I, what happened, Corey? I feel like it's one of your figures or something. Probably. Kathy's we've been cleaning the man room quite a bit. Um reorganized a lot and got rid of some stuff. I'm trying to sell some stuff on eBay still. Um but yeah, um the thing that really bummed me out about having surgery this week was I still have not seen War of the Planet of the Apes. Um I'm hoping to get to go see it in the next couple of days. Uh I'm hoping I'm I'm healthy enough to go sit in a room by myself for a couple hours and uh mainly drive there cuz that's the one thing I've not done yet. I haven't really left the house yet, um, other than, you know, coming home the other day from the hospital, but, um, I, I really want to see that movie, but this week, there's a really big release that Corey and I talked about last night, and that's Dunkirk. Um, I know Corey and I are super excited about it. Mike, are you excited to see Dunkirk? Well, yeah, I remember my, one of my picks was going to be it, and then she stole it. She stole it. You um, can't have it all, Mike. Well, this one, uh, fighting uh, words. <laughs> um but are you i i don't know like how big of a, a nolan fan you are and um you know how excited you are for dunkirk oh enormous i i thought we talked about this we have I'm, just, I'm, I'm assuming the listeners may not have heard all the episodes mike come on i'm being a host oh <laughs> well you i'm sorry you caught me off guard i didn't i thought you i thought you heard me before so, no, but yeah, I'm really excited for it. I, I want to see it. Whether I do make it or not, because I haven't made it a whole lot of summer movies. You're missing out, too. There's been some, I mean, there's been some bad ones. Don't get me wrong, but there's been some really good ones. Spider-Man Homecoming, mm. in particular, um, I really do think you need to check out. Uh, it is... I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. It's just, 
it's a money thing. So yeah, it, it's hard when you have four people. Um, that's I, I go alone most of the time. Um, yeah, same. So that's that's the difference too. Yeah, it definitely helps. I mean, but um, you know, it is uh, and, and the Regal Pass helps a lot because I go alone to a lot of the bad movies, and by the time Taylor decides she wants to see one, I have the free pass for her. <laughs> so it usually works right. out. Um, and that's I'm hoping that I can get her to watch uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes with me tomorrow, and maybe get her to oh. watch Dawn, um, so that I can take her to see War on Tuesday because that's my my goal is Tuesday to go see uh, War of the Planet of the Apes. Well, excuse me, I'm gearing up for War of the Planet of the Apes, so I watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes today, and oh. I'm yeah you... first time viewing it. Oh, I was, I was about to ask you. Oh. Have, have you seen Dawn? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh. What? I think I've seen like a couple parts, but um, I honestly haven't been that interested. But I saw the trailer for War a couple times, and holy heck, it looks so good! And it has Woody Harrelson in it, which is definitely a drawing. You know. Yeah, I'm a big Woody yeah. Harrelson fan, and I told you Don has uh, Gary Oldman in it. So. Um, yes, that's right. I didn't even know that. Patrick, whatever his name Wilson? is. From, yes. I was going to say Wilson, but I hesitated. Now I regret it. I love him. It always sounds wrong. It doesn't, yeah, doesn't seem right. I Uh, wish you guys wouldn't deny your Harry Styles love. Oh, that's Dunkirk, though. I'm all about Um, uh, seeing him. I'm excited to see him in that role. Um, I'm still stuck on Dunkirk. Yeah, no, we should do it. Well, I do want to hear what Corey's thoughts of of Rise, but just to finish Dunkirk real quick, because that is coming out. And the reason I brought up Dunkirk is that is our topic for this week. We're doing top five war movies, which is appropriate for War of the Planet of the Apes as well. It has the word war right in it. Um, but Corey and I mentioned uh, yesterday um, on Movie Club that uh, there's an article floating around that Chris, Christopher Nolan didn't know Harry Styles was famous. Um, he thought he was just some new young actor. And that's kind of funny and exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, okay sure it's possible nolan <laughs> was oblivious to one direction like because think well, like i don't know if i could or like point out he was a, they're separate personalities too like mm-hmm. um oh this is one direction but if i didn't work in a store that like played pop music and then went on to play like harry styles and oh no it was uh i think a couple of them went solo i wouldn't probably be able to pick them out separately I, I if you had a group of boy band like former alum, like preferably not now because some of them would look a lot older. If you took like their the same age picture of of all the boy bands, I don't know if I could name but maybe three. Like I could name Justin Timberlake, I'm fairly confident. Maybe one or two of the new kids on the block. And Joey and I I don't know how, for sure. How else. dare you? How could you leave off Joey Fat One? He's from NSYNC. Yeah, and I would. Yeah, but he's still in a boy band. You know what though? He's right. I could probably name him too. Um, I could. I, I could. Joy Fatone. Man, y'all didn't even call me out. Wow, you really didn't know. I did. I said Joy Fatone, but, but the, it's Joy Fatone. Doesn't he have a, a hot dog stand called Fat One in Orlando? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, does he? Yeah. I didn't know that. He just divided his name into two words, and they sell hot dogs. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, I thought they kept Personal. it together, but either way, it works. Well. I, we were at the the mall the other day, and they have like a there's it's fat, and then there's like a star, and then one or it might be oh, a hot okay, dog. So there's it, something in between the two words to to give you the impression <laughs> of fat one, but it's also fatone. So see, because people might misread that and think it's fationi. 
maybe like Corey. Um, now, uh, <laughs> Corey might. But uh, I, I'm who fine is, with Harry Styles. Who is Cor- fe- someone is feverishly editing their list? I think <laughs> it sounds like Corey no! is typing away. Oh, um, listen to her. She's so defensive. What? We hear like a space bar and keys. <laughs> like, do you? Yeah. Um, I heard it last. Sounds like too, someone's Weird. editing something. No, she, I'm on like IMDb, like scrolling. Yeah. Um, Guys, I'm are you, prepared. Are you, are you angry at the picks? Or? That's so weird. Hang on. Before, let's, let's refocus for a second. Corey, what were your <laughs> thoughts of Rise of the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> that um, James Franco was not quite as obnoxious as I was expecting. Big win. Um, and I think that to... Um, and I know that that's kind of the point of the series is for us as humans to kind of side with the apes Mm -hmm. it's really hard to um how they like humanize them so much and i mean they even begin to talk and things like that but just like the empathy you feel towards them i you know and you're just like down with the humans yeah but you're human and that's not really beneficial for you when caesar says no that first time it's so powerful like oh yeah and like all the apes just like everyone just stops. Um, and also I like that he's, you know, he has, um, violence. Like he is, he receives a lot of violence, um, both from the apes and from humans. And he kind of, he doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want them to be that way. Yeah. Um, against each other and with the humans. And I think that that kind of puts them above us also. Which that is really explored in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes quite a bit, and it looks like that's going to oh, still be a theme in War. Um, is his his desire to ever. not be violent, but um, you know he's forced into a situation where it's them or us. Like his intention is never destroy the humans, but um, yeah, it, but yeah, it's survival. And I liked John Lithgow a lot in that role. Oh, it's so sad as though. his dad. It is so sad, and I don't. Anyone who's ever been close to anyone with um, Alzheimer's or dementia, I think, you know, just, well, I don't know. I'm glad you liked Very it. Very affecting. Um, I, I really yeah. think they are movies that, the I think the old ones actually kind of hurt these in a way. Um, really? Just because I think people who love the old ones still love the old ones, but people who didn't have this, like, kind of cheesy, like, campy memory of them. And I think they're putting that onto these movies, and it doesn't belong. There's nothing cheesy or campy about the new Planet of the Apes movies. Um, no, and I can I think that that's fair. But then there are a lot of people with like the, you know, the Star Trek, you know, that didn't like it before, and now they like it now. So true. I, I, th- I think if you give it a chance, I think yeah. you're gonna like it because it's a really well made film. I, I mean, they're doing they've done well. I just think they could be bigger than they are. Um, I think they really do a whole lot of good. Uh, Andy Serkis is amazing. Um, I mean, the guy has literally changed mo-caption acting to a, a degree that's unheard of. And, like, the amount of emotion he can put into Caesar is just so insane to me. Um, i really, really looking forward to seeing um, War of the Planet of the Apes. I would have loved to see it opening weekend. I love that it's getting such great praise. It is. It has been highly well received. Um, I haven't checked the financials yet, but I will be doing that tomorrow morning to see how they have helped you, Corey. Because this movie, oh, I think it's going to be uh, the thing that brings you back into the 
the summer movie challenge um that my I am, sad little 300 points but, i have uh, only two movies i think so and you still have valerian yeah. and dunkirk next week so um and we got let's not talk about valerian valerian might do okay um it probably won't because it's 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 one. It's weird because to me, it's been hyped as if it's a really big summer movie, but it's being released alongside Dunkirk, and that's not a good sign. Because um, Dunkirk's gonna get the money, not not Valerian. So, and I, I think that like Dunkirk's gonna pull in like all ages, all backgrounds, whereas, you know, Valerian's kind of got like that. Yeah. You know, small demographic, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's uh, Valerian's gonna pull in the sci-fi crowd. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. I hope it's great. I have very low expectations, so it probably will feel better than it is. Um, you know, because that's when you go in like expecting to not like a movie very much, um, and then it, it can wow you. And that's what I'm hoping happens. But, um, you know, we'll see. All right. Um, so we're going to be talking about our favorite war movies. And with our top five this week, uh, I was apprehensive to define what a war movie was um i thought it would be more fun for our list um to let each individual kind of decide how they approach a war movie so some of these movies on my list i know for a fact um would not they don't even necessarily have a scene of war in them but they are ultimately about wars there's something about like the the aftermath of war or the effects of the war on the people um maybe civilians even um and that's what I use as my criteria. Now, some of mine do have clear war elements in them, um, but there was a lot of freedom here, so our list might be extremely diverse, although limitations of what we've seen might also dictate, um, you know, okay. what's on our list. Uh, however, I, I was surprised. Um, I've seen a lot of war movies, more than I, I thought. I still haven't seen some of the big ones, um, which I won't list now, just in case they're on Mike's list or something, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I've seen some of the biggest ones, although um, I think I've left almost all of the big war movies off of my list this week. Uh, and so I have them as honorable mentions. I, I will only mention them if they're not on someone else's list because they are too iconic not to list. Um, but I went for uh, ones that I am more familiar with right now. Like a couple of mine are new. Um, a few of mine are older, but um, you know, there's some that I've seen, but I haven't seen in a long time. And um, war movies are tough a lot of times, you know. They're 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 not always going to be movies that you uh, that leave you feeling good afterwards, you know, because uh, they deal with a lot of tough themes. And um, death is obviously going to be a part of a war movie in a lot of cases. So they're not always movies that are like at the periphery of like when I think top, they're not usually there for me. Not that they're not well made or well executed or the stories are amazing. They're just not movies I would really want to revisit a lot of times. From, from my personal preference, um, movies that I revisit tend to make me feel good, and war movies often make me feel sad, and not in the... Exactly. Yeah. They are emotionally exhausting, and I do find myself uh, avoiding a great number of them, um, just because of that, and like I've already said, I don't know if it's on your list, but I could not finish Schindler's List for almost probably... I don't know, seven or ten years, I've been halfway through that movie, because when it came time to flip it over, I just couldn't do it. It's not on my list. It is on the list of movies that deserve to be mentioned, Um, as I I do love that movie in a way that, like, it's an amazing movie. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know that I could watch it again. Um, I think it needs to be watched by people who haven't seen it. I think it's a story that everyone should be aware of, even though it is a hard story to sit through. There is there is actually a big moment of hope, though, at the end. I hope you know how it ends. Yeah, it, it really is worth it. it you need mm. to watch it. You need to finish it. Yeah. It's homework. At, at no the, homework. At the end, um, the, the, the way it, it ends does leave you, while you still feel awful for a lot of what you witness there is at least like despite all of that somehow this glimmer of hope remains you know this ember was never put mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. and um so it's it's definitely worth seeing from beginning to end uh i do get why it is without question one of the toughest movies i've ever sat through um but it, it's yeah and it's it's well i mean goodness it's, it's easily spielberg's probably one of his masterpieces i mean it's hard to argue mm-hmm. The dude's got quite the 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 resume, right. but um, but the impact it's, that it, film has. It, yeah, I mean, I can't restate it enough. You really need to finish yeah. it. Even if you because just jump into the, the second half or whatever, um, you, like you know, it would be. And it's it's a long movie too. It like yeah, but to it's, watch it's something worthwhile. that heavy for that long, I don't know. But again, uh, there is a rewarding ending. Um, I, I'm not trying to spoil it either, but it's it's definitely. No. Um, I watched it. I, I mean, I honestly watched it within the last two years, maybe. I I feel I can't remember if I watched it last year during the challenge or if I watched it the year before. But I watched it with my my friend that we frequently. Um, we both are movie collectors, and we own a bunch of movies that we've never watched, and we kind of started a movie club a few years ago and that we started like pushing each other to watch the movies that we never had seen and that was one of the ones that neither of us had seen and we both owned um and i think both of us had avoided it for the exact reasons you just described is it was we knew it was going to be an emotional roller coaster something very devastating um and you know what it's about you know it's about the holocaust but this it it's really about a small story within the holocaust and um that's the story that at the end will make you feel better. All right. Um, so this week, uh, Corey's going to be going first. I'm going to go last. Mike will go in the middle. Um, we're going to be going through our top five war movies. And again, we'll kind of be showing each other our definitions of what we use as a war movie. Um, what we define. And we talk about our, our, our list. Um, the list are made in secret. This is our revealing now. Uh, before we get started, though, Corey. Dun dun dun! Spoiler warning: We are probably going to spoil some of these movies for you. If you want to check out our list first at burkreviews.com and then give us a listen, or we'll steam ahead. And Mike, war movies. I've seen a bunch, but I, there's also a whole bunch I've never seen. So I'm going to go with two. I've seen two of the movies on your list. Corey? I'm gonna. I feel like. Mike is going to go a very, like, non-traditional route with his definition, and I'm still going to go with one this week. Mm, one or two. Um, Corey's never really gutsy with her, her bids. Uh, if you're, I have before. I can't <laughs> imagine why. I did, like, three ones. If, yeah. if you're new to the show, uh, Mike has a tendency to have movies on his list that are a little more obscure and uh, less likely that uh, Corey and I have actually seen them. So not too long ago, I think within the last 20 episodes, we started taking bids on how many of his movies uh, we have seen. I'm saying I've seen two. Corey's saying she has seen one. Um, we will find out soon, I guess. Um, Corey? And, and as always, I've seen all five. 
Ah, which makes perfect sense. Um, winner, winner. <laughs> Corey, what is your number yeah. five, top five war movie or movie about okay. war? Okay. I feel like I'm going to get picked on about this one. I feel like I'm going to get picked on about a lot of my list because I feel like mm, my nose probably pretty traditional. Um, but I went with 2016's Anthropoid. I know that you've heard a lot of hate on this movie, but I enjoyed it. Um, it takes place during World War II in the uh, Nazi occupation of uh, Czechoslovakia. And it follows two soldiers um, that meet up with a very small group of soldiers and all the odds are stacked against them. They um, don't have, you know, good contact with their, um, they aren't getting good contact with um, the outside, um, their sources. They don't have a lot of the tools that they need to be able to complete this mission. And this is, um, they end up carrying out the only successful uh, government organized um, assassination of an SS um General, I believe it was um, SS Heydrich. Heydrich, I believe his name was. Reinhard Heydrich. I'm sorry, I'm looking yes. it up. Um, and they, it's a very small group of soldiers. I can't remember exactly how many, but um, they end up getting holed up in a cathedral in town, and it's just a few guys against you know this much larger part of an army coming at them, and they really can't win, but they've already kind of succeeded, and it's really kind of heartbreaking because um even though they were successful there are repercussions for what they've done um other villages are invaded and you know all the boys and men are murdered because they're thought to be part of these um not rebels but um uh forgetting words but um i just really enjoyed it and yeah I mean, I don't. I didn't hear a lot of hate. I heard some hate, and it's got a 59 Metacritic, which isn't bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, I I want to watch this. It just hasn't come across in an opportunity where I can see it easily. Um, I wasn't willing to buy it, so that's why I haven't seen it yet. Um, I would. I'm hoping it's going to be on HBO or Stars or something soon. It might even be right now. Um, yeah. And I will definitely watch it. Uh, partly because Cillian Murphy. Um, there is like a. And I, I was just. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just about to mention that's got to be part of the reason she's got it on this oh, list. Yeah. Duh. He's one of my favorites. Everybody knows. And um, I heard it has like a found footage, like, or a grainy film or something, right? Like there's something weird with the the look I of it. I felt it is grainy and the colors are muted, but I don't feel like, I feel like with like found footage, that makes it sound yeah, really low budget. Right. No, and well, I know that it's grainy and like it's muted, but I feel like that's kind of like to time it to kind yeah. of yeah no yeah and that that's used in other movies. I just that was one of the complaints I'd heard um, uh, from one of the critics that I listened to, and um, the pictures don't look that way to me though. And it wasn't found footage. I just couldn't remember what he had said. Definitely not a found footage film, which is good because I get very tired of found footage um, movies. But yeah, the Anthropoid. Have a ten dollar budget. Um, We're gonna make a movie directed by. <laughs> okay. uh, Sean, Sean, Sean Ellis. Ellis. Yeah. Um, not too familiar with him, although some of his movies I have seen, um, like the the box art for a few times. Yep. Um, Cashback is one that I remember seeing the art for. Yep, because it it makes you look. Um, uh huh. It's. You're like, what yeah. is that? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You're like, what? Yep. I I can't really add much to it. It's one of those. Uh, one of the things I like is there's so many 
stories that have not been told. Dunkirk is not familiar to everyone. Yeah, I have I for, nothing for one. And see, I only because of my my mother's taste in people she dated. He was British, uh, and so I would hear about that. So I do know. I had no idea about Operation Anthropoid uh, or any, and so that would normally draw me in. I haven't. It's one of those that I've has been lost in the shuffle for me. Yeah. Uh, not so much because of ratings or anything. Uh, the it, one of these days I'll have to get to it. Well, it is a small indie film. It did not have a big a big release, um, so the opportunities have been minimal without paying for it, like without renting it specifically to watch it or buying it digitally. It's not been readily available. Um, I'm, I am again. I'm going to check and see if it's on HBO and stuff. I do want to see this movie, so um, one to move to look into. Um, all right, Mike, what is your number five? All right. Well, I figure that Mel Gibson of late has been the butt of many jokes. This particular film goes back to early, early in his career. Gallipoli from 1981. Oh, wow. Uh, Directed by Peter Weir. It's got a 90% fresh rating, a 7.5 IMDb score, and a 65 Metascore, which is very diverse. It goes really high on one and fair on the other. But uh, it is definitely... And I would figure you might agree or disagree that the loss of innocence is pretty much a common theme in what would be considered war films. And this film is no exception. It basically, the premise is that Mel Gibson is one of the main characters. He's an out-of-work railway, railway worker who has enough athletic uh, ability and talent to have him look to try to win a local athletics carnival. What he doesn't realize is there's obviously other just as talented people, and he takes a loss. He actually he doubles down, basically goes all in on himself and bets on himself that you know having that much confidence that he'll win, and it's a pretty neck and neck race that he ends up losing, and so he takes that on not only monetarily but he takes it pretty hard. That's that's a big thing. He now he's totally penniless. But what he takes out of it is making that friendship with that person. Sometimes that's how it is. Someone that challenges you that that way becomes one of your best friends. And so the film follows along that relationship between Frank, his character, uh, I'm sorry, Archie and Frankie, I I mistyped it, throughout their enlistment to fight in the World War I campaign. Now, uh, you got to understand, this is totally, you know, Australia is just a, part of the british empire and so they're far removed they're they're not really having to enlist but it's almost like the expectation that they need to and that's what they do they do it out of duty and uh, the whole film is not entirely all battle scenes uh, and it makes it even more difficult because you're you're getting these characters and you're really seeing them and, and growing with them. And this is the difficult thing anymore. You don't get a whole lot of that, even in a more contemporary warfare. Uh, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. It's just it ends up being a lot of battle scenes and you don't get that that buy in with a character like you would in this one. And it makes it extremely difficult with the ultimate outcome of the story. I'm not going to spoil it. But there's, I feel it's really, really layered and lots of different kinds of storytelling going on 
beyond just losing one's innocence. Uh, and you would think that would be really heavy-handed, but it just hit. I saw this pretty young. I didn't see it upon its theater release, but I was probably in my teens, and it was it was tough to watch. And I've seen it since then as well, and uh, it holds up pretty well. It's thirty, what's thirty, thirty-six years old. So it's almost it's it's a ways away. And, and also having seen it after I'd seen him as as Mad Max, it was such a difference. Yeah. So definitely contrast contrast because he's not you know that in that person going after revenge. Um, it's just really something to see. You know, uh, when you said Mel Gibson, he's done several movies that could qualify uh-huh. as war. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I was definitely not sure which one you were going to say. And then uh, you said one I hadn't really heard of. Um, so I'm I'm really intrigued with this movie. That's, uh, I really hate that he had the uh, the late career, like, you know, showing Albert's his hatred. Breakdown? Yeah, because I was a big fan of Mel Gibson prior to that. And I think I think a lot of people were. I mean, he's done a lot of great stuff. Um and I do love uh, you. Kind of mentioned it. Like his his work is really diverse. When you look through some of the stuff that he's done, some of the choices that he's made. Like you know, you have Mad Max, and then you have a movie like this, which is quieter. And then you have you know the the comedies like you know Lethal Weapon one through four, and then What Women Want. But then you have like I'm trying not to name some of the movies that someone else could say. Um, but you know, he's done such a diverse thing, and. Uh, I generally enjoyed him on screen a lot, so I, I do hate that he made such a horrendous um, anti-Semitic rant uh, and all the stuff he even said about women, too. Like, it, it's a travesty that you have someone that has such talent just spewing mm-hmm. ignorance. Um, but, I, you know, going back, like, I just watched the his Mad Max movies last year uh, really for the first time. Um, especially like when I was giving them a hundred percent of attention. Like I think I'd seen clips of road warrior, like it was on in the background or something when I was younger, that kind of thing. But I'd never really sat and watched them. And I enjoyed those movies a lot. And I was always been a big fan of lethal weapon and stuff. So, uh, this is Gallip- Gallipoli. I don't know how to say it. Gallip- Gallipoli. Gallipoli. Um, um, yeah. Cause I, for a long while, even when I was younger, I was thinking, Oh, were, were they fighting in Australia? Cause the way this, but it's on the, the Turkish front. They actually yeah. went from Australia all the way, to and and that's the other thing and i know recently in wonder woman you get a glimpse of the trench warfare but and i don't know that you fully get the brutality of of it but it just seems so senseless that war that particular not that any of the wars make sense i mean i know there are reasons for it but trench warfare is just for anyone unfamiliar is just brutal and I mean, how we come up with these way means of destroying ourselves is just crazy. And also, um, I was looking up because I hadn't heard of this battle, um, and it looks like this um, attack was on- not only, but looking at how long some of the other um, parts of the war or occupations or things took place, this one was looks like it was over eight months. Yeah, it was a long. Yeah. It was, and I, I, I can't remember if the film really feels that way because you only have a certain amount of time. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, um, my number five is from 2016. Um, I saw it at the Florida Film Festival, though, just a few months ago. Um, and it is called The Exception. Um, which I believe it just uh, it is either going on DVD or just came out on DVD um, to buy, but um, 
It stars Lily James, who is in Baby Driver, and uh, she was in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Cinderella in the live-action adaptation of Cinderella um, from Disney a few years ago. Uh, it has Jai Courtney, who generally gets hated on, and usually I would be one of those people who don't love him, but he's really good in this movie. Um, and then Christopher Plummer, who is amazing in this movie. Um, I'm going to read the, the IMDb plot summary. A German soldier tries to determine if the Dutch resistance has planted a spy to infiltrate the home of Kaiser Wilhelm in Holland during the onset of World War II, but falls for a young Jewish Dutch woman during his investigation. Um, it is, uh, so it's set in World War II, but it deals a lot with the aftermath of World War I. Uh, the Kaiser went into hiding, and this is, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of, like, twists and turns in this film, and I don't want to wreck anything, but, um, I almost didn't see this at the film festival. Uh, it was a last minute, uh, I changed a ticket to see this, uh, mainly because of the start time. I just thought it would be, you know, earlier I could get home, and then I ended up really loving this movie, and I was totally blown away. I was not expecting to enjoy it. Um, there is a love story, but it, it is ultimately about this little element of the war, which I found your words earlier, Mike, perfectly appropriate to describe this film. It's this one little story that I'd never heard about during World War II was this, this um, section with the Kaiser. And I don't know how you know much of it is true or whatnot. I assume the, uh, the Kaiser in hiding is true and then the rest is fictionalized. But um, it was... A movie, again, I went in with uh, very little expectations and um, found a lot of joy in it and uh, surprise, um, especially because your main character, um, who is Jai Courtney, is a German soldier in World War II, yet he's your protagonist, and that's a weird place to be. Um, you don't usually see that. It's usually from other points of view. Yeah, and I will say, anyone who's doubting that they could back somebody, he doesn't necessarily share all of the points of view of the, the rest of the soldiers. Um, and so they, they, they have those little things in there that make you not hate him as much as you would normally hate him. Um, but a lot of things happened th through the course of the film, and there's just some really great performances. I am a huge Lily James fan. Um, she just The movies that I've seen her in, she's been fantastic. Uh, I think she's got a really bright career ahead of her, and Baby Driver... While she doesn't get as much to do as she could have, um, she's definitely the uh, the damsel in distress in the movie for the most part. Baby's there to get her, and that's about it. Um, as much as I hate admitting things like that because I love Baby Driver so much, but um, I think she's got a lot of talent, and um, in this movie, you really get to see it. Uh, she has a prominent role. While Jolly Courtney is the lead, she is a, a definite co-star, co and... Um, their interactions. Is she the German woman, or she is Jewish the woman? young Dutch Jewish, the Jewish Dutch woman. Um, yeah, she okay. is, and um, uh, she's a maid for the Kaiser at his big estate. Um, and so her re interactions with Christopher Plummer is also really fantastic. Um, so I was again, I can't stress enough. It was a movie that I didn't originally plan on seeing at the film festival. It was uh, the second to last day I saw it um, of the festival, and it was again I changed another ticket. I think I had to take it to see Buster's Malhart, and I switched it to this because it was an earlier showtime, and I was ready to go home. Um, and I ended up loving it, so I, I, I don't regret switching it at all. So, the exception from 2016. Hmm. Another one to add to the list, although reluctantly because again, Jay Courtney. Mm. I I know I share the same opinion. He he they. 
he does a much better job in this movie than I've seen him do anywhere else. Um, in fact, he, he has a little bit of range in this movie um, that works really well. Uh, I he, he kind of reminded me of a lesser Tom Hardy in this movie. <laughs> the, Tom, That's some big shoes to fill in. I was, uh, That's why I said lesser. <laughs> it's a lesser Tom Hardy. Like, like Tom Hardy unzipped his Tom Hardy-ness and out, outstepped Jay, Jay Courtney? No, more like um, like a shadow of Tom Hardy. Like, <laughs> oh, like, oh, he's like a Peter Pan fantasy. Like maybe the exception, they're like, we, this role would be perfect for Tom Hardy, but we don't have the budget. But we can't <laughs> get him. <laughs> What's Jay Courtney doing? Gonna... So we're gonna try to get Rufio. Oh, can't get him either. Oh man, Jack Courtney. Hmm. What's the Rufio connection there? I don't remember. Well, because you Peter said Pan. he's like the because sh- he's like the oh, shadow. The shadow. So okay, the shadow. we're going back to that Peter Pan thing. <laughs> yeah. You're not letting that joke go. Oh, All right. Man. All right. Um, that's my number five. Neither of you have seen it, so there's nothing to add there. Um, do you guys know who Christopher Plummer is, though? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I- I'm trying to place a role, but he's been in a lot. Yeah, he is. He's an older actor. He's been in a bunch. Um, I I was just so into his character in this movie. Um, he is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, he's he's in Up. He, um, I'm honestly not sure if he's the lead in Up or is he the other guy in Up, the other adult male. Um, because I'm having a hard time remembering the name of the character from Up, but um, months he was. Yeah. I, was Muntz the the guy, the explorer guy? Let's see. Yeah, 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 it has to be because oh, yeah, I, that's Carl Fredrickson. Is okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. I was like, I was pretty sure he wasn't the lead, but yeah. Um. So he has a major role in that movie, but um, he's so good as the Kaiser in this film. Like he's he's charming and yet he's intimidating. Um, just it's it's a really really good film and um, uh, one of the Edgar Wright regulars who's in well he at least is in the World's End. Um, shows up as Himmler, um, Hitler's second, mm. uh, Eddie Marzen. Um, and he's, man, he is kind of despicable in this movie. So not that I would expect anything less from that that historical figure. But, um, yeah, just to throw that out there, too. It's it's a, I was really impressed with the movie, and it's a really solid period piece, um, something I know Corey is a fan of, like the, the setting and everything. It's very – because you're not in Germany. You're in, you're in Dutch. Um, or Holland, but you're in this Dutch countryside. <laughs> Sorry, um, in this Dutch countryside, and it's uh, this big giant estate um, that the Kaiser is like holed up in and, and being kind of protected um, because of what Royale, happened. Royale with cheese. Exactly. But all right, Let Big Mac. <laughs> Let's move into Corey's number four. What do you got, Corey? Another kind of new one. Um, it's 2014's The Imitation Game. Ah, I have not seen this. Oh, with Benedict Cumberbatch? Correct. I always want to say his name incorrectly, um, which apparently all the ladies love him. But um, it follows the story of Alan Turing, who is a mathematician and cryptographer, as he's trying to build a machine that can decode the Enigma messages that the Nazis are sending. And um, it kind of follows his story and how he's trying to um, figure out how he can do this since the Enigma machinery sets every day. And they obviously don't have time to figure out the code every single day. And then also um, shows 
that they have a lot of hard decisions to make as, you know, they can't, it can't be known that someone is deciphering these messages. So they have hard choices to make about which ones are actually acted upon and um, also follows Turing a little later on, I think 10 or 12 years later, as he's kind of, um, he's been, he's being medicated for his homosexuality so that he doesn't have to go to prison so he can continue to work. Um, So just like seeing him go through these stages of life is pretty interesting. And yeah, apparently I I didn't know that side of the story. Um, That's really an intriguing element of the film that I didn't know about. I was intrigued just by the, the decoding element. I got, um, Sadly, when I fell into the Da Vinci Code and the Robert Langdon books, I got very interested in cryptography for a little while there. And so I was uh, intrigued by this movie. And I can't remember which of the critics that I listened to really bashed it. And so I, I don't know if that was the reason I just kind of like, eh, I'll get to it eventually. And I'm looking now, it's got a 73 on Metacritic. So I'm like, wow, that one critic really threw me off. But I, I again, I listen to critics that I generally find common ground with. So, um but it's one I think one of my students, I think Ben, who's been on the show before, um, recently watched this and, and praised it as well. So one I will definitely add to uh, my watch list. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I remember because I thought he was held criminal for the his his preference, and maybe I'm. But I thought there was something made because that was a highlight of the film. Uh, but again, not having watched it, I couldn't speak a whole lot to it. He's always good in what he's in, so I should have watched it, but I hadn't. Yeah, I, I tend to like him, and Kira Knightley, I I am... She was so good in this. Oh, that's great. I, that's what I was about to say. I'm not always a fan, but there are certain roles where I think she's yeah. perfect, and um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not opposed to seeing her in a movie. Um, and Matthew Good looks familiar, but I'm not. it's not clicking where I've seen him. Oh, he's in the Watchmen. That would do it. Um, he is uh, Voight or Ozymandias in the Watchmen. So oh, okay, okay. That's why he looks familiar. All right. Um, another one that we have not seen, Corey. You're uh, you've got two in a row on I us. Think I'm gonna have to start doing odds, with, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, normally you and I share a few, but this in this case, I we, know. we've gone different directions with our war movies. Um, all right, uh, Mike. What's your number four? All right, so the story of Pearl Harbor has been used. Oh my God, is it Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor? Or don't even, don't even. I was going <laughs> to ignore that, but you're going, you're going to mention that black bat fleck disaster, <laughs> and you know better. Um, I don't even know how many strikes that deserves because. Oh, oh wow. it's been a long time since we've had any strikes. Hold oh, on. Man. You, you I'm should, not you praising should, it. I'm just making it. Why would you even taint my pick by saying that? So you sit in the corner right, and sorry. think about what you've done. I'm sorry. Because there's no comparison between that and my 1970 pick, Tora, Tora, Tora. It was the first film in my memory that presented not just the U.S. side, but... The Japanese said you got to see both sides of what led up to the day that would live in infamy. It definitely seems to me, I would say it's kind of a, a clinical presentation 
uh, in that I don't think that they and that they really over dramatized. It didn't feel like it was over dramatized. Dramatized. It's uh, it's one of the only G-rated war films that I can think of. Wow. So yeah, I, going into my new position, it's one of those that I might have to dig this up or buy it because I don't believe I own it. It's it's pretty long. Um, yeah, two hours so and twenty four minutes. Yeah, and so it's it goes. It I think it's almost like trying to be objective, and that may you know and go instead of going the dramatic or the Michael Bay route, if you had to go that route, which <laughs> you know. Uh, see, listen to how that how pleased you are. You've, you've <laughs> totally tainted my pick with that mess. Um, so this might affect viewers. Uh, Roger Ebert, honestly, he panned the film. It holds a uh, 57% rotten rating, 7.5 IMDb oh. rating, and no matter score. But, uh, you know, there's no real justification, I don't feel, for the surprise attack. But it, it, it gives you the reasons. There's reasons the Japanese had for doing so, as well as the oversights, or what others might say, the blunders that the United States had made in you know in the time leading up to it um the, uh, without sounding like a conspiracy theorist i know that there's some people that are the belief that the attack was allowed to happen to give us as the united states a push to get us into the war and in, into the war the war theater at the at the time because if i recall correctly you know we were still trying to negotiate and trying to stay out of it yeah um but this you know, this got us, that that was the push. Now, it is very telling to me because the last line, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the last line was uh, from one of the Japanese admirals or someone that he was ranking that uh, they had it, and I, I think they translated it in captions, and it reads, I feel all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve, which ended up being very much so. They, I mean, the intention was to cripple the... In the Pacific fleet and basically put it totally out of commission and they, they hurt and it was a horrible thing. And I, one of these days it'd be nice to get out to the Memorial, but um, it ended up coming back at them. I mean, that was a horrible, that that's just one, one part. I mean, the campaigns at Iwo Jima and Guadalcanal, Guadalcanal and different, all this, you know, and then ultimately Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you see the, you see the beginning parts, and it's it's definitely a worthy. Uh, uh, despite the ratings, it, it, it's sat in my memory for a long while, and it's one of those. I don't remember if my son watched part of this with me, but it's one of those. We'll all again. He he watches quite a bit of what I watch, so it'll be one on his viewing list. It's one now that I'm intrigued about. Like I've always heard of Tora Tora Tora. It's one that. When you look at like old war movies, it seems to come up in topics of conversation. Um, I imagine a lot of the critic negativity is probably either uh, the length of the movie, like that it could have been trimmed down and and you know tightened up a little bit. Um, but I'm still intrigued. It's one I, I do now actually want to check out. I didn't realize what it was about, and um, it's it's. Uh, a good pull, I think. I think it's one that a lot of maybe younger it's, listeners haven't heard of even, and so um, I'm intrigued. It's, um, and I always wondered the Tora, Tora, Tora part. It's the Japanese word for tiger, but basically kind of saying that they were, you know, 
they had the element of surprise and it worked. Um, and that's where they pulled that from. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know what that meant. So interesting. Corey, have you seen Tora, Tora, Tora? I haven't, but um, I think that it's interesting to get like those opposing viewpoints sometimes that we don't often get a look from. And it's it's also like I don't know, Mike, if you remember um, how tastefully is it done? Like they don't make the Japanese soldiers like stereotypes or anything like. Um... I didn't feel like it, and maybe you know, and again, maybe that has to do with the. The ratings people i didn't feel it was demonizing them we obviously know i mean it put a human face on do you know what i mean that side yeah. again I, I didn't feel it was over dramatized there are actually a couple of funny parts in a not funny situation uh just reading through the quotes parts just to refresh my memory is it you know, there's there's a plane coming in really slow and someone's saying, you know, they're going to write them up on safety regulations. And then it happens to be a bomber that's dropping a bomb. And, you know, the oh. irony, you know, it's unintentional humor. But I think they totally didn't expect that. And so it, I don't feel that it goes the stereotypical route. Um, I didn't even think about that, John. Yeah. I, at the, the year that it came out. And then, of course... Um, there's that controversy of when you're making the villain, because whether or not, like, if you can put yourself in the shoes of the Japanese and remove that, you know, villainous, like, imposition that you're naturally going to put when somebody attacks you and then you fight them, especially now, because when you're taught about World War II, the Japanese were with, with the Germans and... They attacked us. We've made them villains. And when you think movies and you think of comic books, villains have this, you know, there's this bigness about them and this uh, finite nature about them that they are evil. And so it's very easy for the misinterpretation of that character um, to really make people look bad. But Mike's Mike's memory, at least, um says that maybe it's not that but again it could be someone interpret interpreting it that way or taking it that way and that's um that's that's possible um uh, it, it's worth bringing you know re-watching it again i feel um it, it brings up i'm glad you because that brought up my memory and um and i, I wish i thought to include this one but i want to mention it it's from 1990 uh I had a dennis quaid and I vaguely remember it. Uh, have you guys ever heard of something called Come See the Paradise? No. Yeah, no, I don't. Okay. It, it, okay, it's set during, uh, or actually uh, right before and during World War II time period. And the main, it, it's more romantic, but it addresses a pretty tough subject, as in the inter, uh, inter the, the camps that the Japanese Americans were oh. put into dur subsequently following the Pearl Harbor attack and the loss of, you know, these, some of these people of Japanese descent had been in our country since, you know, for a long time, but we're still sent to camps in our country. And it's one of those, again, very forgotten stories that, you know, again, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, that they were right as far as the Japanese country nation you know and looking to uh it's just there's sometimes more to uh, let's go back to 
uh, Jay Courtney's performance. It's so odd to see someone in that, you know, uh, yeah. in a German. So it kind of in that uh, kind of related in that way, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that happens with every war because our instinct is to say that um, one side is wrong. And in some cases, like the Nazis killing, you know, the genocide of, of the Jewish people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's wrong. No question. That's wrong. Um, but it doesn't mean every soldier fighting in, in the Nazi regime shared that view, but they were, you know, in the, the, in the military, you know, like that's your, that's your job essentially. I mean, we go to work every day and I, while my boss has never asked me to do anything crazy, I don't agree with everything they've ever asked me to do, but it's still my job, you know? And while it's hard to think about it that way, and I think we would all like to say, well, if we were ever put in that position, we would walk away. But what if your family's life was at stake, you know, and you couldn't get away? Like, what do you do? And it's a scary something we hope we never have to be in that position to make yeah. that choice. But it is really hard to imagine what you would do if that were really happening. It's easy right. to say, like, I, I don't know how many times I've imagined a scenario where, like, um, something bad happens and I become the hero, you know, where I like step up and I, I take the shot in the shoulder to protect somebody. But if it, I've fortunately have never been in that position where I, I could do that. But while I've imagined it, I don't know that I could ever really be that hero. Like I, I want to believe in myself, but you know, I, I also know that I'm, I get scared of a lot of stupid things. So if something like serious was going down, I don't know how scared I would be, but it's, it's one of those things we can't, truly know and it's hard to uh to separate what we do know and and make them people fighting for what they believe to be right even in in some cases it's extremely like how can you think that's right but then in other cases you're like well yeah okay um you know i i again i don't agree with it necessarily but i can see why someone might think the way they do even if it's unfathomable and i think right now in our culture it's easier to kind of relate to that because the hostility between the Trump supporters and the non-Trump supporters kind of echoes that in a lot of ways. Like, and, and it's an important thing for us to look back. The trite saying is those that you know ignore history are doomed to repeat it and yeah. whatnot. But it, it, it is it, it's important to look back so that we don't make these same mistakes, unfortunately. But all right, um, yeah, we're gonna there's gonna be a lot of deep conversation with these movies, and that's one of the reasons, like I said. It's harder to pick these for me because I don't usually rewatch war movies. Um, the exception was fairly fresh in my mind, and my next movie is actually still pretty fresh in my mind. It's from 2015, so my number four is called Eye in the Sky. Um, this is a film that is definitely not going to appeal to everybody because it is a lot of dialogue, um, but it's really it's really tense and it's really really well made. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary. Uh, Colonel Catherine Powell. A military officer in command of an operation to capture terrorists in Kenya sees her mission escalate when a girl enters the kill zone, triggering an international dispute over the implications of modern warfare. So this is about drone warfare. Um, it's a modern film. It's not only is it made recently, but it's also set in the current state of uh, you know anti-terrorist warfare. Um, satellite images have revealed a, a terrorist meeting. And so they have a drone position to bomb the meeting, and that's where an innocent young girl enters within the blast radius. And so now there's a debate. We can take out five to seven terrorists who are currently planning. We can see, we have like a little like camera. We can see that they have bombs. Like there's going to be a bombing happening soon. 
and they're going to kill innocent people. That's generally how terrorists work, right? They, they go, they go to a public area and they set off an explosion to get mass casualties. So we can kill them right now, but we will also be killing an innocent young girl as well as potential other civilians. What do we do? And that's the movie is, is debating what's the right course of action here. And it's from a few different perspectives. Um, you have your lead character, the Colonel um, Catherine Powell is played by uh, Helen Mirren. Uh, fantastically, might I add. Um, she's in contact. Uh, Go ahead. Just before I lose that thought, that's all you have to say. Helen Mirren and anything, mm -hmm. I will watch. Agreed. So I will have to watch well, this. Oh, it's going to get better for you then, buddy, because uh, her um, contact at back in England, because she's British military in this movie, um, her contact back in England, yeah. it, Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this was, I believe, his last... Um, live action oh. performance um before he passed away um and then we have the pilot of the drone which is really interesting because he's you know safely tucked away um it's an american pilot and he's uh aaron paul from breaking bad he's in america he's chilling you know um he's in a like a little basically it's almost like a video game he's sitting in a, in a safe room but he has to be the one to make the the actual pulling of the trigger so he's waiting to be told yes or no, but he also knows that there is this innocent little girl in the blast radius. And so now, while he will be doing what he's commanded, he will be the one responsible for that girl's life if he has to pull the trigger. So you see all of these different range of emotions, the people going through different things. There's some, in some ways, there's some comedic elements where you're watching uh, bureaucracy. And all of the layers, like, people are saying, no, 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 we can't do this because it'll be a PR nightmare. And and yet, like, we, you can see these people are going to go and kill these other people. And then there's a, a another actor, I'm going to see if I can pull up his name, um, who is the man on the ground. He's, like, a, a local who's working with them. And what he's going through, trying to... Um, trying to clear the area enough without alerting the terrorists um, that there is... A, a plot afoot you know it's it's just it's such a really great film and it it went under the radar um i think in terms of box office dollars but it does have a 73 metacritic score um i was blown away when i saw it i walked out just ready to have like a long debate about the uh the ethics of drone warfare it is really really compelling it's uh, edge of your seat dialogue um so if you're a fan of like aaron sorkin style dialogue it's not aaron sorkin but it's that type of where it's people talking and yet you feel like the world's going to end any second. Um, it's directed by Gavin Hood and written by Guy Hibbert. I'm not particularly familiar with either one of those. Oh, I did know this. Actually, I forgot about it. Um, so this director has a bad movie under his belt. Um, he directed X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, yeah. But, wow, what a, what a contrasting <laughs> piece of work. Right. Um, oh, wait, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, I'm right. Um, I thought it the way I just clicked on IMDb, I went to the wrong the wrong thing. Yeah, so um, don't let that stop you from seeing Eye in the Sky. Eye in the Sky is great. I don't know what went wrong with X Men Origins, um, but Eye in the Sky uh, easily. I, I've only seen it the one time, but it's one that I I've been an advocate for since I saw it. I was really blown away by it. Um, it's emotional. It's exciting, and it's uh, it's devastating in a lot of ways too because you're just this is our reality now. This is what's happening. Um, so. Eye in the sky. It, again, one of those that I'll have to add to my list. It brings me. Uh, it reminds me 
of scenarios that were glossed over in two different films, which I'll get back to in a minute. But this is obviously, I'm guessing this is based on fiction. This is not a. Yeah, I believe so. It's not an actual. But I mean, but it's. But I mean, it's 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 a situation that very well could. It's one that's probably happening right now. Mm -hmm. Like there's probably as as, or has happened in the past. Um, the, the the first one that I feel only slightly covered it. Uh, have you all both seen Clear and Present Danger? I'm ninety percent sure I've seen that movie. That's a I know it's a Harrison okay. Ford film. Okay. But... Well, um, but I mean the president, the, you know, and the, the, even the line is the course of action I, I'd recommend is in a course of action he could recommend, and they had that black ops wet works uh, ops led by Will, Willem Dafoe and a, a squad that he's picked out. Uh, going in and they called it operation reciprocity but during one of the missions when they're lazing where all of the drug cartel leaders are meeting sure enough you know one of the soldiers once they look more closely that they've got family there they see the kids playing soccer and they still go ahead and you know and and launch you know the the cruise missile And, and it's a similar but they still did it and you know it comes up and it is brought up very quickly as in you know when when i wanted this done i didn't expect kid-sized body bags to be brought out it's a it's it i can't imagine having to make those kind of decisions and yeah to to a lesser extent um uh ender's game touched on it at least in the film because i haven't read through all those books and i know that orson orson scott card uh, i'm trying trying to make sure if i get the name i i in any case, um, basically leading genocide by the use of drone warfare is, you know, what they're doing. And he doesn't, and Ender in the film, spoilers if you haven't seen him, seen the film, d- doesn't realize what they go in thinking is a video game training experience. They're actually exterminating an entire species. Oh, wow. I did not know that about and this game. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, he... Interesting. And it's, it's a point. I, I got to stop just for half a second. Gavin Hood, director of Eye in the Sky, directed Ender's Game. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's almost like he had that idea and Ma- kind of... Maybe found the style. Maybe expounded on it. Yeah. Um, we... We... Uh, John really took to Ender's Game, so, you know, we got the novel and everything. And But that's that's one of those things... Because that's it's not simply a simple you know one novel story. It's that's a big deal when you're wiping out you know and and it goes to us now you know that's mankind eliminating an entire species. That's wow. That's just wow. Yeah. You know, uh, it comes up in Star Trek. Uh, it, I've been watching some Star Trek again, the Next Generation, where where you know the they find the, a wounded Borg, and the, the first thought that Captain Picard, because having been assimilated, his thing is put something in him to exterminate them. And that, you know, the doctor's like, wait a minute, that's goes beyond, you know, what she's she sees that that entity as a organism, where he has, you know what I mean, the other yeah. point of view. I mean, we could have. It's just, I'll, I'll definitely have to watch it. Yeah, I highly recommend it um, for sure. It's definitely one that. I actually really want to rewatch that. I've it's it's impressive how much of it is embedded in my brain because I've only saw it once, but like I can I'm pulling up scenes um, now while we're talking, uh, just remembering like vividly how they play out and the emotions that I was feeling while watching it, and 
um, it's definitely a movie that can make some people uncomfortable because they're, the debate that's happening is not an easy one. And we want it to be. We want it to be easy. Like, well, the terrorists deserve to die. It's like, okay, fine. Do innocents deserve to die to stop terrorists? And it is that utilitarian argument. Is it it's yeah. for the greater good or not? Is Does that mean we're okay with doing it? Because one of the things that really drive us like to the the breaking point about terrorism is the amount of innocent lives that are lost by terrorists. And so here we are, we can kill the terrorists, but we're also going to take out an innocent life in the process. Even if it's only right. one. At what, I mean, at what cost? At what cost do we? Yeah. And then how long do you wait? Cause again, while they're witnessing this, it's the question of knowledge. Um, like a lot of t- well, this is I'm going to use Batman for this because it's the easiest connection. But a lot of times the debate of why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? And um, you could always say, well, because by the time Batman would be able to kill a Joker, he has already done. He's already killed people. And you might say, well, he'll kill again. It's like, well, you don't know that you assume that he'll kill again, but you don't know that. And uh, knowing what one's actions are going to be. um or you you don't know until it happens you're always assuming even if like joker has a gun to someone's head you assume he's going to pull the trigger but you don't know he's going to pull the trigger until he does it and so that idea of knowledge here is like yes there is a group of of men in a room with bombs but we don't truly know what they're going to do we're assuming they're going to go kill innocents but we don't know and so there's that hesitation that's actually one of the things they talk about is like we don't really know what they're doing. If we act now and we're wrong, we will have killed an innocent life to prevent something that wasn't going to happen, you know? And then of course the counter to that, well, what if it does happen? Well, that's really bad. And so it's like that, that's one of the many debates that happen in this film. And it's, it's really impressive. I, I highly recommend it. I don't want to spend too much more time on it. Um, Corey, do you have anything to uh, add about it? No, totally slipped my radar. Yeah, it did for a lot of people. Again, um, because it's not a traditional war film, there's not a lot of battle scenes, um, hardly any uh, action sequences at all, but it's really intense despite that. It, uh, it even brings up... Um, we watched, you watched Unthinkable again or recently, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. So very similar, um, but yeah. Yeah, in that way. Um, it, it Very different um, because of the torture element, but... Um, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, Corey, what is your number three? Okay. Um, like I said, I had a hard time with this list, and I couldn't leave this one off. Um, 2009's Inglorious Bastards. You're going to have to wait on no that one. Okay. I was like, no, no one has okay. this on their list. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Okay. Oh, nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's going to show up on my list. Um, so, sorry. Okay, no, that's fine. Uh, Mike, what's your number three? Okay, um, let me jump to mine. I was actually going to add to my... Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to add to my um, my honorable mentions, but I can do that after this. Hold on a second. So, one of Shakespeare's lesser known, and I'm if you could actually see me video-wise, you, you would see I'm doing the air quotes around the word lesser works, and most definitely one of his bloodiest and goriest writings served as the inspiration for my pick from 1999, Julie Tamer's Titus. And Anthony Hopkins plays the titular Titus Andronicus. And uh, the director, Julie Tamer, and she wrote the screenplay as well. She adapted it. 
takes an anachronistic approach to it. So it basically has a 1950s aesthetic intermixed with the classic Roman look. And I think, and this is not my own thought, but it feels as if, what if the Roman Empire had never collapsed and it continued during World War II time? And so, it, yeah, it's it's risky as far as a method to use, and it's worked. Oh, that kind of approach has worked fairly well with other productions. Uh, and the possibility here is, ooh, okay, all right. Um, the possibility is that, um, that the ratings might have been affected. It had a 57 meta score, 7.2 IMDb score, 68% fresh. But honestly, not only that, because that is a different. You have to get used to it. You, you've seen someone. <laughs> a young child playing with 1950s kind of toys and styles. And then you see, you know, classical Roman empire uh, settings and, and people coming in this way, but it, it's in inundated with violent imagery and scenes. And I'm not going to say this is to the level of the Caligula, notorious Caligula film from way back when, but in any case, to get an idea, the gist of the film is a revenge. It's a revenge tale following a Roman general that's come back from war and he's been victorious and so much so that by his own choosing, he decides he's not going to seek to become the next Roman emperor. And as a result of that choice, he's kind of sealing his fate, not just his fate, but his family. He brings home the queen of the opposing the, the Gaul forces, German forces, and, you know, as a prisoner. And... <laughs> What ends up happening is the person that it, he decides should be, because there's a lot of squabbling, the Caesar is dead, and so the, his sons are trying to figure out, all right, well, who's going to be the Caesar? He gives up, Titus Andronicus gives up his opportunity to become a Roman, the next Caesar, and gives it to Saturn, oh, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, but uh, played by Alan Cumming, of all part, people. And he actually, instead of putting the queen that he's brought home as a prize to death he takes her as a as as his wife oh so yeah and so it all spirals into uh, titus andronicus's daughter being assaulted and um because they're trying to hide their crime they cut out her tongue cut off her hands and so that she can't identify him and eventually he gets her to be able to scrawl out using a paintbrush in her mouth who did that to her and then he anthony hopkins character starts putting you know the, the wheels in motion to get revenge and so it becomes he's coming home from war to fight a very personal war at home because his daughter's been you know assaulted and his family isn't he ends up losing basically all his family and then a very twisted turn wipes out all his enemies as well Although it's not in a way that you might likely expect it. I'll just put it this way. You might, after you watch this, might rethink eating pies after watching oh. this. Oh, man. Because especially if you're in the middle of some sort of volatile power struggle, just, <laughs> you know, saying, Got it. Be, yeah. be aware. Uh, that's just one part of it. And then other. Uh, very it, Before watching this, this is one of those I stumbled on. Before watching it, I mean, like, well, this is Shakespeare, and it's it's hard hitting. It's hard to watch. All right. Um, 
I've not seen that. Uh, I, I'm. I was actually. I've. I've always seen the cover of it. Um, it's a very mm-hmm. iconic looking image. Uh, so it's always stuck with me, and it's been one that I've been intrigued by for uh, several years now. And I just haven't got around to it. But, um, I didn't know the Shakespeare connection actually. So I'm even more uh, intrigued to go check it out. And I have not seen nor even heard of this. So I have to have seen your one and two, Mike, in order to uh, meet my my uh, bids. So. Not looking positive, but let's go ahead and, and um, we'll move into my number three. Uh, my number three is from 1962, and it's Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Um, I watched Lawrence of Arabia recently, um, during spring break this year, in fact, and it is it is an epic. It is three hours and 36 minutes long, um, and uh, it was done in one sitting. Uh, we did pause it a few times. Uh, same friend who we uh, that I talked about earlier that we vowed to... Um, watch movies that we own uh, he bought this a while back and we've been trying to get to it but we both knew it was really long and it was going to be a commitment um, and I had no idea I didn't know anything really about this um, the story of T.E. Lawrence the English officer who successfully united and led the diverse often warring Arab tribes during World War One, in order to fight the Turks um, I didn't know really anything about this I didn't know that was based on a true story um, I didn't know the story, uh, so watching it was, um, you know, it was intriguing just to learn about this man, but more was watching the film. It is a beautiful film, and the amount of things that are done, um, there's so many cool trivia things about this film because it really shouldn't have been able to be made at the time that they made it. Um, it they do some, they had to invent ideas, uh, They little things that went wrong, like, they're in the middle of the desert filming this movie, which is not something that was usually done, uh, first of all. But they didn't think through, like, what it would be like to be on a desert. So uh, it's a production. They have all these different, like, styrofoam cups for, like, coffee and, and water and stuff. And there's wind. And those styrofoam cups kept blowing into the shot. Oh. So they had to uh, replace all the styrofoam cups with, like, ceramic mugs that wouldn't blow into the shots. Um so, like, things like that are, like, it's just such an interesting process. Um, you have Alec Guinness uh, in, in Brownface, which is, of course, doesn't hold up in today's standards or acceptability even, but he is a great actor, and he does really great in the role. Uh, Peter O'Toole as the title character, who is amazing. Anthony Quinn is fantastic. Um, um, Omar Sharif was is probably, I think, one of my favorite characters in that movie. Um, just... It was such a compelling film. It is long, um, but man, what a story! And um, it's—I I debated because I was going to include one of the more iconic war films, and um, I wanted—I for a while I had like too many things that were too recent, um, so I wanted something that was older. And I was really just so blown away by this film. Um, it's one that I need to rewatch because it is long, and I definitely missed things, and there were things that I. Like, later in the film, I was like, oh, I think that's referencing something from this. Um, but it's one that I also don't know when I'll ever rewatch it because it's so long. Um, but it is, it's one that uh, if, if the reason you haven't seen it is because it's old or because it's long, uh, get past that. It's totally worth watching. Um, it's, it was, you know, just how many movies reference Lawrence of Arabia? I mean, Prometheus, the character David, is inspired by Lawrence from mm-hmm. Lawrence of Arabia. There's a lot of mannerisms he does Even in the, the movie. Look the look yeah totally i mean you see that in the movie they don't try to hide it you see him watching a a clip from lawrence of arabia but if you've never seen lawrence of arabia you wouldn't know it was from lawrence of arabia it's just some guy in a a suit like there's no 
clear. I think he says it, but I mean, it's, it, again, Prometheus says a whole bunch of stuff, so it's easy to miss something. But um, David's definitely, uh, he sets himself up to be Lawrence, and in a lot of ways it's very intriguing in that in that capacity, especially if you know the plot of Lawrence of Arabia and then what the actual events in Prometheus, it kind of makes sense, um, David's uh, connection to that character. So that's my pick for number three. I There's just... all sorts of fantastic trivia. Sorry, I'm jumping in front of you real quickly. And part, one of the trivia things that stuck out to me, which is crazy, at 227 minutes long, this film has no women in speaking roles. Reportedly yeah. the longest film not to have any dialogue spoken by a woman. That is crazy. It has to be. It's a honest. classic. Yeah. Classic, nonetheless. And the other part, Corey, sorry, I apologize for jumping in front you see what happens to him at the end of his you see his death at the beginning yeah and it's a crazy it's it's, yeah it's just senseless the framing of the whole movie is because of that we're at a funeral and people are talking about him and how great he was and you like the opening sequence though to get to the funeral is him on a motorcycle and he wrecks he wipes out and dies and you're like what just is this real? Oh my god! <laughs> like, I was so thrown by that because I was not expecting to see. Like I'm like, what is this? Like the young punk kid being rebellious and he ends up in the military and like, no, this is the end of his life. I'm like, oh, did not see that coming. All right, <laughs> thanks, movie. But um, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to do what? I'm like, wait a minute, that's not that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, I was totally totally shocked by that opening. Um, interesting way to frame the the story of this man's life, but. Um, yeah, so no no women speaking and Alec Guinness and brownface, two major problems with this movie, I... for sure. But it was a different time then, people, and hopefully times have changed. But again, uh, it doesn't mean you should ignore the movie. Um, those flaws, while flaws, do not diminish the overall art of the film, uh, in my opinion. So, and it has a hundred on Metacritic, just to point that out. So, you wow, know. that's amazing. Yeah, I'm. I don't know if I can sit through a three-hour and thirty-six-minute movie. I'm sorry. You know what, Corey? Corey I don't think this, I could do it. He has problems with commitment. I do. And you know I what? Do. If we can do it, you can do it too. You have to. Yeah. You, that that kid's got to learn. I don't know. Puppy, just, that's a responsibility. All right. all right, Mike. We're going long. Let's not do Billy Madison quotes. Oh, Corey, what okay. is your number two? My number two is from 2015, Bridge of Spies. Ah, okay, good movie. Okay, um, I kind of went into this movie not fully knowing what to expect, um, but everyone loves Tom Hanks, and if they don't, they're wrong. Um, this one takes place during the Cold War. Tom Hanks is a, an insurance lawyer that is roped into representing Rudolph Abel, who is um, a man charged with, um, they suspect him of being a Soviet spy. And the whole, like, I mean, you guys, I know John see the movie, but the whole thing is that they're trying to make it look like this man has received a fair trial. And I don't think that they're expecting, um, oh, I'm forgetting his character's name right now, Donovan. Mm, I think that's Tom Hanks' character. Um, actually does go in and gives like fights for him and you know he comes you know why should we whatever and he says this man was just serving his he's serving his country um and his character and this is based on a true story but 
he's taken so out of his, you know, out of what he usually does, and he becomes a, um, I can't think of words. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Oh, he becomes a negotiator. Okay. He becomes a negotiator for the American government against, like, the Soviet government, and he, you know... He ends up making this big deal that they don't think that he should push for, and he ends up actually saving one of their pilots that was shot down, and also a student that had been studying there and that had been taken as prisoner. And I didn't, I don't remember this from the movie, but just like researching and reading, apparently he made more negotiations and had even more Americans freed for this one spy. And Mark Rylance as Abel is. Rudolph Abel is amazing. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, he did win uh, Best Supporting Actor, uh, an Oscar for that role, too, in that movie. Um, and he is a highlight. I, I was actually not familiar with Mark Rylance prior to Bridge of Spies, um, but now when I see his name on something, I'm excited, even though he was in the BFG last year, um, the big friendly giant, not what it could be. Um, <laughs> And oh, just say what it really is. I want to see that one, but I know it's going to be a heavy watch, man, and I just can't. Yeah, I've heard. And the commitment, commitment, for But I sometimes I don't want to be sad, Mike. Sometimes I don't want to be sad. Oh. You know what? You have to explore your range of emotions. Yeah, then you watch something happy right afterwards, and it's all good. That's but... right. <laughs> um, and I gotta say, it. you tainted my pick with Michael Bay. And I have my <laughs> Billy Madison moment. <laughs> I didn't. No, I'm just no, saying that. He's talking about me. He's talking Bro, about me. Oh, I was like, I didn't even know that was a Michael Bay film. And then I'm like looking through the cast and I'm like, <laughs> Michael Bay. And everyone, I never saw that movie, but I'm just like, it has Michael Shannon in it. I might have to get around to it one day. Pearl Harbor? But, no, don't watch Pearl Harbor. Yeah, yeah don't watch and it. And since, since I'm taking a quick liberty, here are some yeah. of the people that hate Tom Hanks. Tim Allen, Sarah Jessica Parker, Howard Stern, Bill O'Reilly. And Ricky Gervais. All okay, those so... people are clearly, all those people are clearly wrong. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that they all um, hate Tom Hanks. That's interesting. Yeah, I saw that article a few weeks ago. Corey is actually, how many have I not seen of yours? Because this is one I haven't seen. Not because I didn't want to. Tom Hanks is definitely a draw. Just a time thing. But yeah. you've seen the yeah. glorious bastards. Yeah, now, but to be fair though, the three that you haven't seen are all within the last like four years. Um, she, she's pulling a lot of recent movies. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm. I feel like being judged. Well, I mean, I'm st- I'm stingy with my box office. Uh, this summer's viewing is a testament to that. So I'm stingy. I, I need to watch some of these. Just, There's a reason that people like them. So. To be fair, uh, my first two movies were within the last year and a half. So. Um, you know, but then I went 1962, so I've earned a lot of credit. Right? Um, so I'm coming. But to be fair, again, okay. my my number two and my number one are both in the 2000s. So I could have gone older, but I didn't. Um, but yeah, let's go to Mike's number two. Um, I I agree with what you said about Bridge of Spies. Um, I do know uh, it's worth noting not only is it a Steven Spielberg film, but Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen were brought in to rewrite the screenplay. Um, and so you do get a little bit of uh, the Cohen oh, yeah. touch uh, to it. So it, nice. it's, I really enjoyed the movie, and I actually didn't see it in the theater, and I finally rented it um, right around Oscar time, and I was really happy that I did. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and again, it was one of those, uh, a theme that we're seeing is these small stories being told about things that happened 
that you never heard about until the movie's made. So. Yeah. Nice. All right, That's Mike. cool. I, I need to watch it. All right. So Oliver Stone was really very close to having two of his films included on my list. For a while, his 1986 offering Salvador was my number three pick. But I'm like, ooh, I, gotta, I went with Titus uh, instead. So that said, I could not, absolutely could not leave out his other 1986 classic, Platoon. Uh, this was one of the many films that was introduced to me by my youth pastor, who actually had served in Vietnam, and I always had meant to ask him how close this resembled this his experience. I never braved it. Um, he never talked about it too much. I don't think it affected him negatively, but it's just it's not something I brought. I mean, there's a reason it was in his collection, uh, and a really good reason. There was a time once that Charlie Sheen made it a point to deliver outstanding performances, and, I mean, so early in his career as well. We talked about Paul yeah. Gibson earlier doing that. And, uh, you know, he, he play, Charlie Sheen plays a enlisted Army infantryman, Chris Taylor. And Stone, Oliver Stone, when he did, I think he infused a lot of his own personal experiences, as well as uh, historical nods to the My Lai Massacre during, during that time period. I mean, it's, it's so much so that it almost feels documentary-like. Uh, I mean... Not only are the soldiers battling the Viet Cong, but they're really they're in the midst of a of a war amongst themselves uh, between factions that are one fa- one side's led by Tom Berenger's Sergeant Barnes and William Defoe's Sergeant Elias. And the quote, and it was near the end, is a real, uh, real real quick thing that he said he's they're both battling for uh, possession of his soul. Uh, it's one of those that's going to leave strong emotions. After the viewing, 88% fresh on the tomato meter, 8.1 IMDb, and 92 Metascore. That's crazy. Classic. Um, I have to say, uh, I have not seen this, which means I will not hit my two. And I'm really sad because I almost watched this yesterday. But oh, man, again, so because good. I was feeling like it was going to definitely be too heavy given my recovery and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, it's a film that um, I bought. I think last year with plans, I bought this Apocalypse Now, you know, a lot of the old war movies that I had skipped out on for whatever reason. And I got to say, I am not often a big Oliver Stone fan. Um, I have not seen all of his big ones, though. So I need to like this is one of them that I have not seen. Um, I've never watched JFK because when it came out, I was a kid. It's really long and it didn't like it never spurred me to go see it. Um, And I did see uh natural born killers but again i was a kid and i definitely should not have seen that movie um i did see any given sunday which is generally not a, a revered film um i but for what it, for what it was I, I actually enjoyed it you know i'm not big on sports and i yeah i kind of yeah you know i don't hate that movie i just i it's definitely not my favorite one because of what it is because it's a football movie that isn't about football and yet there's a lot of football in the movie and it's like <laughs> um but I do love The Doors, as I mentioned on our uh, biopic uh, not long ago. And um, so, yeah, I just need to see Platoon. Um, I, I actually did see Born on the Fourth of July, but I was, again, way too young. I was I saw that in the theater um, at Mugs and Movies. Oh. Totally, definitely didn't oh, get... Oh, wow. Like, yeah, it wow. was not a movie I should have been taken to, but I was. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, that's what I missed, which I should... I, I'm an Oliver Stone fan, and that's what I missed. Yeah, I still haven't watched it to this. And day. a U-turn is another one that I watched not too Ooh, long no, ago. No, no. But you know what? Don't mess with I that. just heard a podcast uh, p- 
point out that it's a dark comedy? I guess. And that's I didn't watch it with that mindset. So mindset, I kind of yeah. I'm tempted to rewatch it with that idea that it's not meant to be taken as like a genuine thing and see okay. if it changes the uh the experience. But yeah, I, I was not thrilled by it. And I also can't decide if I want to put myself through it again. So <laughs> Um, and we need to see about watching Scarface, even though it's not directed by him. It's it's definitely a hit. his film, yeah, you know, from yeah. his script. Yeah, I definitely need to watch that. And I haven't seen Wall Street, um, so there's a lot of his I've missed. Oh, my gosh. And Platoon wow. is one that I know I need to check out, but I also know it's going to be a hard watch. Um, but I, I own it. It's on demand, too, right now on one of the premium channels. So it's one I will probably get to sooner than later. Um Maybe my friend that I've mentioned already will be up to watching it because um, we've been talking about uh, having a movie night here soon. So, um, all right, let's get into my number two. Actually, I'm sorry, Corey, did you have anything to add to Platoon? No, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? I, I kind of assumed that, but I wasn't sure. Um, getting a de- definite trend are, with you in more movies. What are we at with numbers? Uh, we, well, I have seen none of yours. Um, Corey has seen none of yours. So she has yeah. to have seen your number one. And I can't, I can't mate too. So, um, but let's get into my number two then. Um, one that both of you have seen, uh, one of the first on the list. Um, it's from two thousand one, and it is definitely. I'm using the movie about war in a very uh, liberal sense here. Um, it is the Devil's Backbone. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I thought about that. One. I love how Guillermo del Toro um, uses the Spanish Civil War. Um, and how he shows like the loss of innocence, um, the looming threat of, of death with the bomb planted in the courtyard. Um, just uh, the, the boy's father was killed in the pointless war. And really, I kind of wanted to include Pan's Labyrinth with this as well because they are brother-sister films um, and they're mm-hmm. both dealing with the same war. Um, but I went with Devil's Backbone because I felt like it was a little easier to see the connection to the war. Um and, and at the same time, no, it's pretty easy in Pan's Labyrinth, too, but the fantasy elements, I think, are what people think of when they think of Pan's Labyrinth. They think of the, the um, what is it, what's the uh, the scary guy that Doug Jones plays? Um, oh, I can't remember. I, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Very iconic kind of yeah, creature. Yeah, no eyes. He has eyes on his hands. I can't mm-hmm. think of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like people think of those f- the fantasy elements and the and the uh, satyr as well, which is also played by oh, Doug yeah. Jones. Um, the Yeah. And, um, so I went with Devil's Backbone. It, it's, uh, oh, um, after Carlos, a 12 year old whose father has died in the Spanish Civil War, arrives at an ominous boy's orphanage, he discovers the school is haunted and has many dark secrets that he must uncover. Um, has a 75 Metacritic, which is, uh, pretty great. There's not, like, super famous people in this movie, um, at least not in America. Um, but, uh, man, I was so taken aback by this film when I watched it. Uh, I was very happy that I had bought the um, that I bought it, and um, it's one that, again, it's it's talking about the horrors of war and the effects. What is that noise? It's really loud. Um, the effects of war uh, through metaphor, and I, I. What, Mike? What are you doing? <laughs> no. Okay. Just lying down. Oh, all right. Um. Yeah, the Devil's Backbone is my pick for number two. Uh, do you guys have anything to add? Because um, there's so much metaphor, I don't want to really like get into explaining it all. But it's... go ahead. I'm a big fan of this movie. It's my probably my favorite of uh, probably my second favorite now, but big fan. I love his ghost stories. 
Yes, that's that's the and I like how his use of children as characters. Yeah. Uh, it, it shows. I, I just watched Mimic again for the first time. Not his best, but I think an easy way to start. Uh, and the funny part is, John was sitting with me, and he he saw. He's like Guillermo del Toro. I'm like, yeah, he's done a lot of films. And the first thing he thought of was that animated Troll Hunters. Oh yeah. And I'm like, oh well, yeah, that's right. He's done that. He's like, he's done a lot of different ones. And so he just happened to. He's been wanting to watch scarier movies, and I'm just trying to ease him in, and that just happened to be the one. Because I remember paying box office, and this one is one of those that didn't get a huge American release, or definitely overlooked, hugely underrated, uh, and and that's wrong. I mean, a lot more people should be should have watched this. Agreed. Um, it's one that I'm I'm trying to figure out how to fit it into my curriculum. Um, any anything that could potentially scare people actually ends up being kind of controversial because I have some students who are like deathly afraid of horror films and like to the point where they can't hide it like they can't pretend that they're not like they'll cry that kind of thing and so it becomes this like thing for me do, do I show it anyways do I let them leave the room and um, it's one of those things too where you don't know how a scary movie is going to affect somebody like some people think they're going to be afraid of like Friday the 13th and they watch it and they laugh and then some people are like, oh, it's just a it's a ghost with kids and like it won't scare me. But then it's it ends up being more terrifying to them than they expected, you know, like and it's it's one of those things where I, teaching horror films is never easy. No, I can believe that. Um, um, I also like his like use of ghosts in the story. They're not ever what we expect. Yeah, his, his way of using ghosts in his movies are very, very interesting. Um, again, though, it does me. It, it's one of the reasons why. Um, the fan reaction is often not as good uh, as as it could be because they go in with an expectation of like Crimson Peak is a really great example. They go in expecting a very different movie than what they get, and so they they allow their own expectations to judge the um, their experience rather than taking the movie for what it is. And the marketing has is something to blame for that because the trailer definitely made it feel like a different movie than what you I see. I felt that way about but, Pan's Labyrinth a lot, but yeah. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, but uh, a Devil's Backbone, if you've skipped it, and this isn't the first time it's been mentioned. I think we mentioned this with our ghost story. Um, mm-hmm. I think we did ghost stories or something, top five ghosts. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one, though, uh, I wanted to include on my list again because I, I am a big fan. And I do love what it's the commentary he's making about war um, in this movie. So Devil's Backbone. All right. Uh, Corey, what is your number one? Okay, so you threw it back to, what, 1962. I'm going to go back a little further to 1939. (laughs) Well, well, well. I talk some smack, and she throws it in my face. (laughs) Boom. Um, I couldn't leave Gone with the Wind off of this (laughs) list. Um, I do detest Scarlet. Um, She's selfish and spoiled, um, but she also has traits that I really admire. She does what she wants, even for the time period, um, regardless of social expectations and standards. And she's strong-willed, and if she's, you know, she gets something in her mind, she goes for it. Um, I love Rhett Butler, and this um, takes place during the beginning of the Civil War and then the reconstructive reconstruction period after. I know that, um, you know, some people think that it, like, glorifies the South and, you know, slavery and things like that. But I don't really agree with that. I know that there are, um, I mean, Mammy, there's definitely some uh, 
uh, like you were talking about someone being in brownface earlier, like those stereotypes of people that are being portrayed can be definitely offensive. But I love this movie. I need to rewatch it, but it's another one that's really long. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. But in I fact, just, I want to point out that this this movie is three hours and fifty eight minutes long, which I think is like twenty God. minutes longer than yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. You can commit to this one. I committed to this one in the eighth grade or the ninth grade. We're not talking about how old I am. So it's a matter of her choosing not to commit. (laughs) My dad's other worthy. Oh, so we need to say, all right, we need to, all right, who's who's good dad and bad dad, Bert? Uh, I'll let you be bad dad. (laughs) Oh, why do I got to be the bad dad? Uh, Well, I said, you know, you already gave her a strike earlier. I felt like. It just works. Oh, you can just continue with the tradition. I gave Mr. Michael Bay Supervan over there a strike. I, <laughs> so. I don't want you to get out of the corner. You should be sitting in that corner still. Anyways. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I have to admit, though, I haven't seen Gone with the Wind because of how long <gasps> it is. Um, oh, and it's why it's hard. It's life. hard to commit to watching it again because it is a long movie. And I think that when I saw it was when it was released on vhs for the first time and it was two vhs tapes yeah or was like the package yeah i mean yep. there's, there's a lot of movies like that but um i i have it on dvd i bought it like when i actually got the uh, film teacher position at the high school which is now six years ago um i bought that movie and I've never watched it, so it's, I really want to. Wow, it's Jeez. it's well, it, one what Corey said. I know it, it deals with subject matter that I'm not like that I'm familiar with, but, but I'm also well, there's a slave either. Yeah, I, I it's a it's an area in history that I'm very very knowledgeable on, and I tend to um, avoid watching film on because it is a subject that I have a lot of opinions of, and seeing slaves and seeing people treated wrong now. Gone with the Wind, while it deals with the Civil War, is is there actually any Civil War scenes in it, though? Like, it's more about this romance, isn't it? Well, it's most, it centers on Scarlet and, like, her fan, family, um, how they go from being a prominent cotton plantation, and then they lose their slaves, and I one of my favorite oh. scenes is where they're, um, they're burying their silverware. Oh, wow. So that you right, can go back it, it, and try to find it later so it doesn't get pillaged. Yep. Um, yeah, but it's um, that iconic scene. I, as God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again. And she does go back to that, and she does what she needs to to get things taken care of. Um, but, I, no, I don't. I remember, like, maybe some scenes out. Um, you see, like, the dusty fields and things, but I think it's mostly just kind of like you know i think um this is one of those films for me it the the iconic moments from it i've seen many times and i think it set a uh, what it's about to a different place in my head and while i i'm not opposed to a good romance for when i was a kid i definitely avoided romances you know i was trying to be the manly man that hollywood told me i had to be um and so often would like shun a romance and go watch the action movie where people get shot all the time and as an adult, though, I've, I've definitely come to embrace romances, but a four-hour romance did not appeal. But what you just told me made me actually want to watch this movie is seeing the uh, something that I, again, knowing a lot about the Civil War um, and the effects of the aftermath of the Civil War and what it did to the, the economy of the South, I didn't realize that was actually a major plot point of the film. I'm intrigued now. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
You should watch it. Um, I'll watch Lawrence of Arabia if you'll watch Gone with the Wind and we can make no, it movie clubs. Whoa, 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 whoa. You've got a lot more on your list to watch. <laughs> oh, no. I'm never getting oh, out like, alive. Like I'm making you do a dirty job. Um, speaking of dirty jobs, um, the, uh, if you haven't heard Mike Rose uh, podcast the way I heard it, it's I found it by accident. But one of the episodes, uh, April twenty fifth, if I got the episode correctly, it's called "A Patient Man." Um, episode fifty two. You'll have to dig it up. It's not very long. It's usually ten minutes at the most, so it's really easy to digest. Has to do with. Well, it's definitely related to Gone with the Wind, if, unless I got the wrong episode, but I think it's that one. And I would, I would recommend digging it up. Not the cross, not that he needs any plugs from us, but um, okay, definitely related. Just it's worth the five ten minutes. Well, let's go into um, just so our podcast isn't as long as Gone with the Wind. Um, oh, Mike, uh, what is your number two? Uh, number one, number one. I'm sorry. I already, already did. I'm sorry. Two. I my bad. Oh man, I'll do it again. I mean, uh, no, we don't have time to edit for number oh, one. Okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, t- I kind of snuck this one in because I feel this one technically falls under the crime genre. Oh, uh, but for my intents and purposes, it, it's set during the war on drugs kind of period, in a sense, even before so. Um, it's set during an almost twenty-year time frame spanning from the late sixties to the early eighties in the corrupt and continually in flux neighborhoods of the Brazilian favelas in Rio de Janeiro. Um, 2002's City of God, or as it's known in Portuguese, Cidade de and I may be getting that wrong, so my Portuguese, I have no Portuguese knowledge. The docudrama basically, it's based on a true story, follows the friendship of Rocket and Lil Zay, or also known as Lil Dice, depending on the time period of the character. And there's another friend that eventually you find out about, and the divergent paths that their lives take as they grow up. One of them taking the drug lord path, another one following a photojournalist path. And it provides a variety of viewpoints in kind of the same way that Tora 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 does. However, not nearly as clinical. It's definitely much more dramatic. Um, you see what these kids go through as they're growing up and becoming much more grown up more quickly than they need to. Um, it's 130 minutes, so it's just over two hours. It gets it give you it really allows you. I know, man. It's it's I, I bark for it too. <laughs> I know. Uh, it definitely allows you uh, to see a whole lot more character development than you know if they kind of condensed it. Uh, there was a follow up mini series done, uh, uh, City of Men, if I recall, which I haven't watched. I need to do that. Um, it's 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 definitely strengthened for that running time because it's a difficult see to see the contrast. Of what you might, um, I know that there were some of the bigger action movies. I'd say one of the Furious, Fast and Furious, where they have scenes in the favelas, and it gets glossed over. And it's such a weird thing. Um, I know when the Olympics were down there to see, you know, all that glitz, but it's so closely set to some of the poorest neighborhoods you'll ever see, and some of these yeah. conditions that are the living conditions that are just heartbreaking and the reality is so many people live in those kinds of conditions and government and police corruption as well as the criminal element on top of it because it's not just the criminals but even the people in charge of the criminals and it's a not not at all easy watch um 
but there there are hopeful moments in it. Uh, it does have, I feel, the payoff. It's, it's, I can't compare it. It's apples and oranges when you talk about this and something like Schindler's List. But sometimes, I don't I Yeah, I love to watch film to be entertained. But sometimes I watch a uh, perfect example over the weekend, Independent Lens on PBS. There were two back-to-back films, totally not easy to watch, but totally worth it. Uh, one about a supremacist in a small neighborhood in North Dakota, and the other one about three teenage kids in a small Missouri neighborhood, uh, socioeconomic, and not easy to watch. But it, I don't know, it keep, kind of puts things in perspective. Well, um, I have to say, I bought uh, Children of God. Is that what it's called? Am I messing it up? Children of God? City of God. City of God. City of God. I bought City of God um, last year when I started the challenge. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I'm looking at the Blu-ray right now. Uh, it's one that I know is going to be a tough watch, as you mentioned. It's also, um, because of the challenge, I was avoiding a lot of movies last year that were over two hours because I had to watch one a day and cram my other life into it still. Um, so that's the main reason why it's been put off more so than the, uh, the tough element of it. Um, I am very intrigued uh, to watch it though. It's just one that, you know, I, it has subtitles. So I have to be like ready to commit a hundred percent to watching that movie. Um, and I don't always know that I can. And so uh, it gets pushed back. It gets pushed push back. Um, but it is one that's been on my radar. And unfortunately that means I have seen zero of your movies this week. Um, and again, I think I own three of them, um, which makes it worse. That's crazy. So um, that's nuts. Yeah, I need to get. Uh, I need to. I have a whole shelf of DVDs that I have not watched, and a whole, like almost a whole shelf of Blu-rays that I own and have not watched. But I will at some point, at least, as the goal <laughs> to have watched everything I own. Um, although the DVD shelf has some movies that were given to me. And I don't know if I'm going to watch those or not. Because I'm like, I didn't get to pick if I own this or not. This was just handed to me. Um, but, yeah. Um, Corey, have you seen City of God? Uh, City of God? That's right. I said it right. Oh, and then I was going to say Children. No, I have not. So, I, I also. But an interesting uh, interpretation of the war uh, topic, though, Mike. I, I like that idea. of not. It's not a traditional war, but it's definitely got... Um, the two sides and a lot of a lot of debate behind it. All right, Thank you. let's get into my. And I win. I win this war of picks. Oh, that's right, because Corey also uh, has seen zero of your movies too. Yep. <laughs> um. All right, let's get into my number one and Corey's number three, Inglorious Bastards from two thousand and nine. Um, Tarantino has been actually pushed off of my list list more often than not because he is um. Of, I like a lot of his movies. I like, I think, all of his movies, really. And um, Inglorious is one of my favorites of his. And so when I when we picked this uh, subject, it was hard not to include it as my number one. Um, it the movie has one of my favorite film villains ever, um, in Christoph Waltz's uh, Colonel Hans Landa. Um, he is so evil and yet delightful. You know, it's like such a contrast is what we were talking about earlier. It's this guy who comes off as so friendly and so kind when you first meet him, but he's awful. And that performance is so outstanding. Um, and every time he's on screen in this movie, I am, I'm just watching what he's going to do. Um, I love Brad Pitt in this movie. Um, Eli Roth is great. Michael Fassbender has a really cool uh, moment. Um, Daniel Brohl, who is 
apparently always cursed to be having to play a Nazi. Um, he's he shows up as Nazis in way too many movies. Um, just the whole the whole premise of the film. It's got Tarantino's excessive violence. It has some historical accuracy. Uh, it has a movie tie-in with the um, the cinema in France, and so there's a whole bunch of stuff that um, that I just really enjoy when I watch this movie. And it's 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 definitely a Tarantino film. Um, it is rather long. It's two and a half hours, uh, so it isn't an easy one to rewatch in its entirety. But I don't know how many times I've watched clips from this, and I've taught clips from this. Um, I, I've never shown the whole movie to one of my classes, but I have shown several clips including the infamous uh jew hunter scene in the beginning of the movie i um, love that scene it's such an intense and crazy scene so um that's why it's my number one and Corey, it's your number three do you have anything you want to add yes um actually you kind of touched on it but one of my favorite things about this movie is the retribution that shoshana gets back when um she and her projectionist set her own her cinema on fire uh under the pretense of screening a Nazi propaganda film and, like, I am not always a fan of Brad Pitt, but I love him so much in this. And Eli Roth as the Bear Jew is probably one of my favorite characters in film ever. Yeah. That was a... I can't believe you glossed over hunting Nancy's. Yeah. That's the best part. Hunting Nancy's. <laughs> I love that, that scene when he's recruiting his group, though, is I love that whole <laughs> sequence of dialogue from him. It's so fantastic. Um, and you will get me 100 Nazi scouts. <laughs> like, it's just, God, so there's so many well, good the lines. Ten, the tension in, and that whole interaction when they're, the, 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 the way scene? they hold them. That's yes. The yeah. With a number yeah. three. How do you hold your fingers up? And I'm thinking after that, I'm always like, cause I will always hold mine up in the okay way now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of the yeah. other way. And it's, it's like, whoa. And just, that was just amazing. And that's just one little scene. Yeah. And um, then his rewriting of history near the end, it's like, yeah. 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 You know, talk yeah. About, oh, yeah. Talk about, yeah. It's like, and, and it's not a typical war movie. It is a war movie. But yeah. It, it, it's just. It's more about uh, the revisionist, behind the of Yeah, war. revisionist history. Those little, yeah, those little stories that you, obviously, it's, these are fictional, but that just. What was what's he rumored to do next? Uh, something the, based on the Manson murders. Yeah, the oh Manson yeah, murders. and that I I read how uh, I think it's Nicholas Pileggi, uh, if I I think the author um, that did Helter Skelter and then Wise Guy. If I, I think it's the same author, I have to dig it up. It's been a long time since I read Helter Skelter, so he can pretty much do whatever he wants. It's if that's what he goes with. Uh, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, there's a rumored cast that I, and the names Brad are Pitt's on me. the list. Um, yeah, but I'm thinking one of the female leads who I would imagine is Sharon is, would probably be Sharon oh, Tate. Yeah. Um, I want to say something, but I think I'm wrong. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. remember. I just remember um, Brad Pitt, but the uh, I, the yeah, women actors sure. were also very good um, on the the rumor list. I can't remember who they are though, for some reason. No, the names are escaping me, but uh, didn't make my list. So many that could be included on the list, and uh, it's it's hard not to include Tarantino on it. So yeah, and it's again, um, I have taken him off my list more often than not. So that's why I thought for the war movie I would include this one because I I do love Inglorious Bastards quite a bit. So um, that's because you're an awesome Nazi hunter. <laughs> Nazi. I have played a lot of Call of Duty. Now, guys, 
let's get into our honorable mentions. So, Corey, do you have anything you wanted to add? Yes. Um, actually, from I think this was from 1939, too. When I was growing up, I was a big fan of Shirley Temple. I had to put a little princess. Her um, oh. dad goes off to war, and then she's, like, looking for him throughout um, hospitals. Uh, everything is illuminated from 2009 and Full Metal Jackets. Nice. Yeah, I have that one on that, mine, too. That was tough not to include that one or um, Apocalypse Now. I meant to think of it because so many good films set during that time period. Yeah, I also have Apocalypse Now as an honorable mention. I actually have all of nice. like, the big ones that I've seen uh, on as honorable mentions. But go ahead, Mike. What do you got? I have, and I wanted the one I did not want to miss, Charlie Wilson's War. Um, oh, man. I didn't was, even think of that one. I, was I caught on cable, and I'm like, I wish I'd caught this just in the theater just to give that film the box office support. Based on a true story, I know they took some liberties here and there, but just to see everyone was so good in it and to see all the back-end things that happened and, I, you know, what we ended up coming back to us because once we didn't have that support in Afghanistan, well, that led up to the buildup of Osama bin Laden into leadership. So it's really amazing. Uh, I mentioned this animated one a long time ago, Grave of the Fireflies. Yep. yep. Watch something happy, happy afterwards. It's not easy. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, Flags yep. of Our Fathers. Too. Glory. And my last one is The Great Escape. Ah, okay. Um, I have what you mentioned, Full Metal Jacket, Saving Private Ryan, Apocalypse Now. Um, I have Schindler's List, which Corey mentioned earlier. I have Casablanca, um, which oh, yeah, I classic. loved, and I didn't think I would love, and I really, really loved. Um, Braveheart, um, which is another Mel Gibson movie. Um, and in fact, going with that, Mel Gibson's last year's directed um, Hacksaw Ridge, I had on my list at one point, but because I had two other movies that were also new, I decided to leave it for an honorable mention. Hacksaw Ridge, though, it's another story. It's a very small story during the war. Um, but, man, the story of Desmond Doss is so heartbreakingly inspiring and amazing. Um, and, it, and it features Vince Vaughn playing a, like, um, drill sergeant, which immediately should you should have a red flag in your head. Like, there's no way that can work. That's like, what? How? But he does a great job. I was so impressed with Vince Vaughn in that movie. Um, and... I was really blown away by uh, Hacksaw Ridge completely, and it's violent. Um, it tells a very inspiring story, a very small story again, but, man, um, it's it's really, really good. Uh, definitely, and keep in mind, it's the reason Mel Gibson is back acting on, on big-budget movies again because it got him enough goodwill that they are, they're willing to overlook his anti-Semitic rants. Um, I also included some comedies, uh, Tropic Thunder, um, which is kind of like a parody of the making of apocalypse now um in a lot of ways for sure but um it's really funny and it does depict war kind of um uh i have hot shots which um you could you could go hot shots part dewey uh which is more rambo-esque and less top gun than the first one but um one that i saw which I, i didn't even consider to put on my list but i thought it was worthy of mentioning was wonder woman because it is a war movie in essence um, and then uh, Starship Troopers, which is the only sci-fi war movie. I mean, we could obviously Star Wars is a war movie, and Rogue One in particular. Rogue One definitely uh, definitely fits there. But uh, Starship Troopers, um, there's so many crazy war sh- war sequences where, like, even just their training is really intense. 
um, like where like one of the the soldiers takes their helmet off and they get shot, like in a training situation. I mean, it's there's some real like war type moments in that sci-fi over the top campy movie that it, I've never forgotten because of that. Because um, I don't think I'd would seen. You, it. Would you like to know more? <laughs> I, I did not Sorry, know I what you. Had... Yeah, it clicked after like it took a second, but I got. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so lots of great war movies, and I got to say, I you know what? I'm gonna throw this out there. I didn't. I wasn't gonna bring it up, but Thirteen Hours um, is a Michael Bay movie. <gasps> that's actually uh, it's surprisingly good. Um, I thought it would be over the top because it's Michael Bay, and there are more explosions than necessary, but um, not as many as you would have thought at the same time. Um, there. Before before you get too far, that reminds me of another pick that I should have included. Since you're going with 13, 13 days, in mm. case you, you, you get uh, during set during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh no, but that's interesting. Kevin Costner, oh, dude. Yeah, you, I wonder if you could include X Men First Class in this list because of the uh, oh, Cuban oh, Missile oh, Crisis. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then also full disclosure: first time I watched Casablanca, totally fell asleep. Ah. But it has since since uh i could see that learn the error of my ways i could see that. i think i was too young um all right guys uh we would love to hear your top five because this is such a big category and especially the way we interpreted the the term war in this we left off some big war movies movies like saving private ryan which is about the war you see the war the whole movie is the war it's not on any of our list i think all three of us have seen it and all three of us love that movie as much as you can love a movie that features death and destruction um real death and destruction at that um but it, it didn't make our list we'd love to hear your uh your favorite war movies um and again you can be like us and be creative with the definition or you can be much more straightforward with it but you can tweet at us i'm at burke reviews Corey. at Corey r star two r's on the end and mike at server monkey and um, get me that nazi scalps you can comment on our post. You can comment on our SoundCloud. It doesn't matter. We just want to hear what you uh, what you think. Um, if you have anything to, if you want to like argue with us that w- one of our movies shouldn't be on a war list, go for it. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we'll be back next week with another top five movies. Um, until then, folks, enjoy the films that are out there for you to watch. Mike, Corey, I will see you guys soon. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.